0: I wish I could break free back to where I supposed to be I wish I could break free back to where I supposed
1: to be. Welcome back to the Signal and Noise podcast on Pro Sound Web sponsored by Shore My name is Michael Lawrence I'm the technical editor of Live Sound International and Pro Sound Web and as always I'm joined by my extremely
2: handsome co-host Chris Leonard What's going on Chris What's up man How you doing Doing good. I think I think Kyle is off working on getting our taco endorsement, and he's uh, he's been trucking around the the country, and he's just he's stopping at each uh, Del Taco, Taco Bell. Anyone who will listen, yeah, you know, we'll get this taco sponsorship eventually.
1: We will not. We will not back down. We'll get it. <laughs> so. Um, Today, our guest is my new friend, Mr. Shannon Slayton. I'm very excited to have him on the podcast today. Um, Shannon, my first exposure to Shannon was his book, Mixing a Musical, which you can get on Focal Press. Um, and he has, I'm going to just read you his bio off the back of the book, because um, it's fantastic. Shannon Slayton designed the tours for Eros, Kiss Me Kate, Full Monty, The Producers, Contact, tap dogs hairspray sweeney todd wizard of oz and a chorus line broadway mixing includes a christmas carol jersey boys dirty rotten Scoundrels, sweet charity the drowsy chaperone mandala matcha and on and on and on there's legally blonde there's spring awakening shannon was production sound on phantom of the opera for on broadway for quite a while and uh, i most recently got to go visit him on the national tour of once on this island and see the rig and uh, we shared some nachos together so shannon thank you so much for being with us here man it's really great to have you
0: yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here.
1: This is fun. And you have a podcast uh, of your own, don't you?
0: I do. I do. Who doesn't at this point,
1: right? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I have a podcast I do with my son, who's 14. Um, we started it when he was 10, and it's called My Son, the Dungeon Master. Nice. <laughs> where where uh, we play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, in fact, I'm sitting in his room at our uh, podcast central right now at his little desk, Um Yeah, I do that. We have fun doing that.
1: So we always like to start with, you know, um, where did you start in audio? How did you get to where you are now? What was your path like?
0: Uh, Okay, let's see. My path was basically I started out in going to college for theater. Um, Didn't really think sound was where I was going to end up. Um, I liked to act. I liked doing, you know, directing and all that junk. And, um... When I was a, I think a junior in college, we did a musical, and I was asked, "Hey, you're you, you're not good enough to be in the show. So <laughs> why you don't face, you, do- you have a face for radio <laughs> <laughs> and a voice for mixing? So I said, why, don't you, um, why don't you mix this show?" And I was like, "Sure, whatever." And so that was my first introduction. We did Sam Shepard's Mad Dog Blues, which is an LSD musical. It's kind of a trip. And I met this guy who'd never done a musical before. He was like, "You're you're you know, the guy who does bar bands, who has a sound some sound equipment." And our college rented it. And he's like, "I don't know, there you go." So I um, <clears throat> that's how I was introduced to it. And I got into it more. Uh, and got out of college and started working for a local experimental theater doing their sound went to regional theater dallas theater center and um did sound there and then went on the road and toured as a mixer for about seven years um on and off the road and then moved to new york and um you know started mixing in new york so that was my path
1: so do you do do you identify primarily as a mixer or a sound designer i mean what what would your name tag say on your office door
0: um, it depended on where I was in my, in my path. I guess at one point I was a, just a straight up mixer. And at a certain point I was a mixer slash designer. Uh, then, uh, so I, I go back and forth. I, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm a good sound designer in, in my head, uh, because I'm a, I'm a good mixer in my head and I'm a good mixer because I'm a good designer. So they kind of go hand in hand. I don't think you can design musicals unless you're, Unless you've mixed musicals, so I don't think you have the uh, full vocabulary. But that's my opinion. Um, <clears throat> so it, yeah, it just depends. I would say right now I'm, I'm a, I'm pretty much both. I don't know. It it depends on. I, I kind of I still enjoy mixing, so I'm not ready to give that up totally. But uh, I do, I enjoy design a lot more these days.
2: For for those who might not know the Broadway theater world, what, what would you define the role of a sound designer? I mean, I, Mixer is, it sounds kind of obvious. What, what What's the role of a sound designer?
0: Um, <clears throat> well, in theater, um, the sound designer is the person who, first of all, picks the equipment and says, I want these speakers. I want this console. I want these microphones. Um, I go a little further and say, I actually want this com and this cabling. And so the, the sound designer in essence is the person who is going to decide everything about the sound system based on, you know, talking to the set designer about where can I put speakers, the lighting designer about where do you have room to let me put speakers, um, you know, and figuring out this is our budget. So it's, it's all the, the nuts and bolts coming up with the, the overview, um, and then talking to the director and knowing, OK, you know, in this in this like the uh, once on this island, you know, we had uh, audience on stage and nowhere to hang speakers. But I was told we have no budget for it and there's nowhere <laughs> to put speakers, but we have to have speakers somewhere so that the audience on stage can hear. Oh, and it also has to still be loaded in in the same eight hour day. And it was like, well, that's a that's a lot of things. <laughs> so, you know, me as a sound designer, it was like, OK, I got to figure out how to make this happen. And I did. Um, so that's, you know, to me, it's it's bringing together an artistic vision for what the director needs, what and, and the monetary requirements that the producers have and figuring out a sound system that works <clears throat> for that. Um, and then once you're in tech, you know, um, my job becomes how do i want this to sound and i work with my mixer about you know oh this is where i want a crescendo oh let's let's push that guitar out a little bit more here let's pull it back and i we i work very very much, very closely with my mixer on how i want it to sound which you know i get notes from the music director and the director about how they want it to sound and then that filters through me and we end up with what we're all happy with and um and i work with my mixer to be uh, like in musical theater, we we line mix. Um, you know, someone talks, we bring the mic up. They stop talking, we take the mic out. So it's a very active mix. And um, and so I'll also work with my mixer because I'm a mixer. I can watch them mixing and I can say, okay, you're stumbling through that scene because mm-hmm. it's you've you've laid your faders out in a in a way that's too complicated. Because um, <clears throat> You know, in, in theater, we a show could have a hundred cues in it, the board's constantly changing. And so I'm I'm always looking at it saying, Oh, there's an easier way to do that. And and uh so that's kind of my job as a mixer. Oh, and then I build sound effects, you know. It's music. I do musical theater mostly, so it's like, okay, another dog bark and thunder cue. Cool. All right, done. My job is done as a sound designer. Um <clears throat> funny enough, it's people don't get what sound design is in theater which is why there was a, never a tony then there was a tony then they took it away because they didn't know how to judge for it and then they brought it back and they still don't know how to judge for it but that's okay <laughs> they're learning but i did a, i designed a show at a, a regional theater <clears throat> and uh you know in the, it got reviews and got great mentions hey sound was great in this show right so i do this show we open the show and there are no sound cues in it that happens. It's a musical. Who cares? It was a, it's a show about, uh, Patty, uh, oh, what's her name? I go, a walk all after midnight that, that part, whoever that is. Um, I can't remember her name anyway. Um, so I did this show. There's no sound cues <clears throat> and sounds great. It's a country band. And, uh, and at the opening night party, the lighting designer, he's like, Hey, you know, great working with you. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Great working with you too. And he goes, yeah, next time, maybe I'll actually get to see you do some work. And I'm like oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. What? And he's like, Well, there were there were no sound cues in the show. It was just a band. I'm like, mm. <laughs> so
1: there you go. That's yeah, uh, kind it, of the one of the things I picked up from your book, you know, that was your book was really a lot of my first exposure to the world of theater sound because it's very different than the kind of work that I usually do and have done for most of my career. And so, you know, oh, okay, you've got the sound designer and you have an associate sound designer and you have an assistant sound designer and you have a production sound and like okay you have a deck sound and like so what what all these people do and you know hey if the comms are acting up they're coming to you and and you know you got to figure out who's responsible for what and that's that is delineated a lot differently than it is in you know kind of a a rock and roll type of world um so that was something that, that i found very interesting um and i also think that you know the idea of line mixing that you mentioned um, is such a huge departure from what someone's used to if they're working in a, again, in, in a more, you know, music uh, background. You know, that's just such a different. I, um, my friend, um, I told her I was working on a musical last year and she's like, why, why are you doing that? I'm like, oh, that's how you mix it. She's like, that, that's crazy. I'm like, no, that's that's how, that's how it's done. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you it's a completely different approach than what a lot of the music mixers are used to, which is kind of poking at VCA's and, you know. Keeping a very uh, smooth, you know. I mean, you're you're working when you're mixing. Yeah.
0: Well, and can, can I can I explain why we line by line mix?
1: Absolutely. <clears throat>
0: I mean, are you curious?
1: Uh, well, are I read, you read your book. I feet? read your book, but yes, for the sake. Oh.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll have to talk about it. We're done. Oh, no,
1: please talk about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> the reason we line by line mix in musical theater is we have twenty people on stage with a microphone on their their forehead. <clears throat> now. If you're mixing a band and you've got a singer, they may be good or bad at this, but they are going to move the mic in and out away from their face to control the volume of their their voice, right? Um, And again, some people are good at that and some are bad. But with a musical, well, the mic doesn't move. So I actually need to do that more... um, for the, for the actor because they're screaming and I've got to pull it down because they can't pull the mic away from the source. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's partially why you know, it's an active mix. But now I have, let's say, uh, uh, the, the, two, the two leads, man and a woman, and they're going to sing their big uh, romantic duet. <clears throat> well, they're going to get really close to each other. Now, as they get close to each other, what happens is his voice – is getting into his mic, which is about, let's say, eight inches from his mouth. His voice is also getting in her microphone, which is about, let's say, 24 inches from his mouth, okay? So the problem is, once that happens, his voice is coming out of the same speaker at two different times, right? And so we end up getting uh, uh, comb filtering in the speaker, and it sounds weird. Now, there's no way to fix this. Like, there's tricks. People are like, oh, I invert the phase on that. Well, really? <laughs> That's cool. That'll fix some frequencies but mess up others. Um, some people are like, oh, I'll delay the, the time on one mic. Well, it depends on how far away it is. So, okay. It, it, that doesn't work. The only thing that works is kill his mic. When you get, you know, you got two people, they get close, and you kill one mic, so you're picking up both people on the other mic. So, <clears throat> constantly, we're line-by-line line mixing to make sure we're we're picking up that person only on their mic. Also, you know, as like you got proximity effects, so now I get closer to her, and I'm getting louder, I'm getting louder, and I'm louder, um, where I have to pull it down. So also, the other reason is you have 20 people on stage and one person is talking. Uh, it's really hard if you hear, like, a mic crackle. You, you have no clue. You're like, I got 20 open mics. I don't know. No you know but if you're like well I'm mixing along and I when I heard that I only had three mics open so I know it's one of those three people and I can keep mixing and let my my deck sound person backstage know it's one of these three people you've got time go listen at the rack figure it out and fix it so that's
2: why when when you're when you're mixing um uh, multiple people on and off stage, quick lines. um Are you are you muting or are you actually riding faders in and out to keep it a little more? I just enough from a corporate standpoint, you know, as you know, when people are coming on and off stage or through a panel, I'm I'm trying to make it a little more transitional. I'm not trying to like hard kill. Plus, there's records involved, so there's that noise floor that's kind of coming and going. How does that work for you in Broadway when you're going line by line and making sure that people hear the lines, but then not have too many open microphones?
0: No, it's, it's, I'm not doing mutes at all. It's just faders up, fader down, fader up, fader down. It's, <clears throat> um, it, cause also you, you have the ability very quickly to be like, oh, I overshot that. Let me, you know, or, Oh, that person is, <coughs> you know, really energetic today. So they're, they're louder than I expected. So, uh, or it's an understudy or a cover. So, you know, everything's always different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely just up and down, up and down, up and down. That's why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm highly against the, the term sound engineer in, in theater. Um, I'm not a sound engineer. I I to me that's designing beadboards and, and soldering stuff mm. and, and like no, I'm a soundboard operator and I'm very proud of it. I'm very good at moving faders up and down and hitting a button when I'm supposed to. That's that's what I'm good at. Um I don't need to make that any fancier. And if you look at it in the playbill, I'm it's listed as I'm the soundboard operator. That's what I am. That's what I do, and I'm a mixer. I, I mix. I'm not. I'm not engineering, in my opinion. If I a recording engineer, completely different. I think that makes total sense, and not in a you, you know, soldering way, but more you're taking a time and you're engineering a sound in that way. I'm mixing, straight up mixing. So,
2: is there any is there any automation that's ever done? Oh yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. You know what- to to what like what, what types of things are being automated versus what you're still manually doing by hand? I, I knew very talked about what you doing by hand, but like so, what what things are you uh, automating?
0: Just about everything is automated. Uh, your band, the band is is automated. Like the way we mix is, I have all my input faders and and I use control groups, VCA's, DCAs, whatever you want to call them. <clears throat> so I'm a, i mix the entire show on the same twelve faders. Um so i I have cues that bring all the women to fader three and my male and female lead to fader one and two and I just you know I go through cues and things are changing of what I'm mixing under my fingers constantly <clears throat> and then everything else on the board is is programmed it's totally automated i I'll have cues well you know the the input fader level is is programmed so me as a designer or uh, or whoever's my designer um, can sit over there on a song and be like, ooh, I'm going to set the mix for the band for the song. Me as the mixer, I don't care. I've got a band fader, or I've got band and drums, and that's, I learn where to put those so it's right. But whoever the designer is, is over there really crafting out, oh, I want the horns bigger in this section. Oh, let me set a compression level on this song or a gate. You know, they do all, you know, you do all of that stuff, that's totally programmed. But you can't program you you can't program the levels so what what i'm doing is the lines and the the basic volume of the band does that make sense
2: no absolutely it makes a lot of sense yeah
0: and, sure. and and in these days i mean i've got shows that the cues are time coded so cues are happening you don't you know i, I take cues off of lightboards sometimes when it makes sense and it's like things are changing and and it's it's under control, but there's a lot of automation, but still, it's it's not. There's no way to completely automate it.
2: Yeah. When you when you said you were uh, from from scene to scene, you're changing um, like the the men men on the subgroup and the the women on a different subgroup. So is that automation actually uh, um, actually changing VCA subgroups per per scene? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. be routed to Yeah. Okay. That's cool.
1: That's what I did after I got the West Side Story gig, man. I got the book back out and I, I went back through it. And, and so, you know, my board that I was using had eight VCA's. So I said, okay, number eight is going to be the band. Yep. And one through seven was whoever I need at this time. And so my automation, it didn't touch my fader levels. It didn't touch my VCA levels. It didn't touch my gain pots. All it did was pull people in and out of certain VCA's and either mute or un- unmute their channel, depending on yeah. you know, if I needed to. And that was it. So my So my automation was VCA membership mm-hmm. and channel mute state, and I would do VCA names and a little trick um, I learned from our buddy who does uh, x32 uh, what's it called X32 theater control uh, mm-hmm. James Holt a uh, wonderful chap from Australia um, he will put the scribble strip uh, of the, of the VCA green if it does not change memberships in the next scene so you know you can hit the yep. go button with that so is that is that a Broadway standard uh, workflow uh,
0: it's in my book <laughs> But no, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a standard. Um, it's a trick I learned from a, a friend of mine, Francis Ellers, who he would he would do a similar thing where maybe Fader 6 was uh was assigned for something that wasn't gonna change. And he would um either capitalize it, depending on what kind of console we had. It would be all caps, so you'd know, oh, this is good. He would mm-hmm. also do one where it would be all lowercase to let you know hey they're not they're not in this queue but in the next queue it's going to be this thing so mm-hmm. i can sometimes you look over and be like oh yeah i need to preset that because we're going to take the queue and then i'll start mixing on you know that fader right. <clears throat> so, uh,
2: what about um spatial location um and you know different parts of the stage i imagine it has to do partially with what system you have to work with but um how how much of that has to do with your mix you know from, from show to show I mean, are you are you creating that? And I guess, and I maybe dove, dovetail this into what is maybe the future of maybe immersive Broadway. I don't know if that's already happening or if it's going to happen with some of these immersive systems sim- sim- happening, dude. Immersive <laughs> Broadway. I'm just saying, you know, it's. I mean, it's. It's. I don't know if it's already happening
0: about but. this immersive Broadway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, you know well, what? It's just—it's funny because when I when I when we met up uh, last week, Shannon, I asked you about—we talked about this idea—and I I've always kind of held a minority viewpoint on this, and you actually seem to share my viewpoint more or less, which is pretty cool. So, um, I I feel so you're talking about basically imaging more or less, Chris, right? Yeah, so the idea yeah, that yeah. The, the sound seems like it's coming from the person that it's coming from. Oh, and yeah. so you, then and you get into this, you know, okay, well, delay zones and and matrices and all this stuff to kind of you know dynamically follow people around the stage and. My, my view is that imaging must take a backseat to intelligibility. Um, Amen, brother. Preach right? it. <laughs> so uh, like Book of Mormon, if, you, if, you're in the, if you're sitting on the orchestra level in Book of Mormon, you're hearing the vocals from an array that is almost 90 degrees, like, almost directly above your head. Mm-hmm. Um, it is almost 90 degrees off from the stage. Um, yeah. So the imaging is, that is not a natural imaging. However, it doesn't bother people because it's not, it's not, it's static. So you go like, oh, the sound's coming from up there, but you go, yeah. I can hear every word, and your brain yeah. quickly forgets about that, and you're into the show. And I will take that any day. Um, if yeah. if if the intelligibility is not there, I'm not going to even start to worry about imaging. That's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and I'm right there with you. I, I uh, with with what you're talking about with uh, delay zones and 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 lo- localizing voices, it's very 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 popular. Um, <clears throat> that's it's cool trick, but I. Um, most of the shows I've worked on, we don't do that, um, very rarely, uh, you know, but, um, I feel the same way. Like if, if it's going to hurt the intelligibility, forget about it. And I think most of the time it does. Cause it's, um, it's a hard thing to pull off. That's all.
2: Uh, that, that, that makes sense. How, yeah. um. On the on the design side, how different is it designing a system for uh, you know a permanent install uh, versus, or I, I know they're all temporary, but you know a fixed location versus a touring system? How how different uh, is the design that goes into that?
0: Uh, well, they're different, I guess. When you're doing a tour, you for me, I'm constantly thinking about you know what's the truck space we have and uh, how can we how can we make this, you know, to me, it's like, okay, I know that they're going to have a show every night at 8 p.m. They're going to start load in at, you know, seven, eight a.m. They have to, they have to be in and up. So for me, a lot of it is like, uh, it has to be a system that, that loads in fast, that is easy to troubleshoot. And that sounds good. And, um, it's like that old meter, you know, that there's, there's a thing out there was like quality. What is it? Quality time. And, great or something like that and you're like you can have two of these three you know right. <clears throat> but um yeah doing a touring system for me is constantly thinking about how how can i make this easier to load in and and maintain a, a really good sound package at the end whereas <clears throat> when i'm doing a broadway show um i don't really care how long it takes or how big right. it is that it's we have plenty of time you know we're Twenty minutes from the shop, I designed a show where we were in Yakima, Washington. Uh, you need you know if I need if I forgot something in the shop, well, we'll have it to you tomorrow or the next day or maybe mm. the next, you know, but when I'm on Broadway doing a show, it's like we can have that to you by coffee. no big deal. <laughs> Just drive that down. So it's a very different mentality when you're like, we've got all the gear we need very close by, and we have three weeks to load in a show. So there's plenty of time to run as much cable as you want. And, you know, <clears throat> and that's why when you, you with the immersive theater, it, not just uh localization, but I do think immersive theater is a, is a thing. Cause now we have enough time and that the equipment has developed so much that shows are, have surround systems that are very impressive. And I'm not always a big fan of surround for like gimmicky stuff, but when it's, um, great reverbs and you know interesting stuff going on um i've heard some great shows that that are immersive in the sense that the sound is just enveloping you it's not just coming from the stage and i'm for me i'm more impressed with that than like oh it sounds like he's upstage left <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, i but- I, I recently <laughs> took my girlfriend to see Phantom of the Opera because she had never seen it, which is a travesty to me. And mm-hmm. we got to sit um, very close to the rear surrounds, which was a big treat for me because you can really get a good idea of what is going on with the surrounds. And the band mix, the orchestra through those rear surrounds and the reverbs that are used in that show, you get these huge, huge orchestra tunes. And it was just kind of all around you. And it was really fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you told me a cool story about when you were redoing the 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 sound design for phantom uh, when mick came in and it was redone yeah. and you had to kind of work around and hang one speaker at a time because the, yeah. they wouldn't shut the show down
0: yeah do you want me to elaborate yeah. on that absolutely
1: a i'm a, I'm a yeah. huge phantom buff I'll, I'll take anything you got man
0: Yeah. So I, yeah when i was uh i was the uh, us uh, production sound for that so i loaded in the system and we were doing um <clears throat> we would come in at eight in the morning and we'd hang like three under balcony speakers and then clean up and go away. And we did this for about a month and it's because they didn't want to cancel a show and we couldn't work on the seventh day. So it was like, well, we can work four days a week. Actually. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. <clears throat> and, um, and it took us about a month. And we were, when we were done, we had a duplicate sound system. It was, just, it was the craziest thing. It was like, <laughs> Okay, every underbalk speaker has one right beside it, okay? <laughs> and the cable was run to it, and it was plugged in at the speaker, but then in the amp room, which is tw- 20 feet off the stage, um, the cables were just all coiled up and tied because we couldn't remove the amps. We couldn't remove the racks until they were going to close for two days, one show, and then reopen. And um, and so so we'd run all of this out, and then the last couple of weeks of the this build, I was like, well, we need to build a second mix position because we don't have time to build it in these 72 hours we're closed for. So by the end, we had a, a like a 10-foot-long Cadac uh, in back house right, and then right beside it, we had a PM1D and a whole other sound system set up. And I thought it was kind of cool because I'm like, you know, once we did the switch there were people that sat in seats that had never seen the show from those seats other than a sound mixer, like in, in 20 years. Mm. And I thought that was kind of cool that like, you're the first to ever see the show from this location. But <clears throat> so then, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And we, now my favorite part about this is, um, so we're doing this. And before we started hanging these speakers, uh, like every speaker in the theater from the original install was, like powder coated to match the walls. And I, I, go production manager. I'm like, Hey, before we hang these speakers, should we, should we powder coat them? Should we get them, you know, the same color? And he's like, no, nah, we don't have time. Just, just we're fine. Just put them up. It's like, all right, cool. So we spent a month hang, hanging these speakers. And then we, we opened the show we, and and all is good. And the set designer came and said, Hey, um, all, <laughs> of, all the speakers, they need to be, be powder coated. <laughs> Spent another month coming in Take down two speakers Go in the alley <laughs> paint it, Hang them back up
1: <laughs> Famous last words, just do it, it'll be fine I've never heard that before <laughs> yeah. Nike made it a slogan That's true <laughs> So there's a. I have a friend who was in the touring production, and I got a juicy little sound tidbit because I'm always, you know, when when Phantom of the Opera intersects with 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 juicy sound secrets, I'm all over that. And Uh the the very last note in the song Phantom of the Opera in Act One, um, extremely high note, um, I guess, is sometimes run off uh, playback, and because it's so high that she she shouldn't be singing it every night. I hear it's not good for the vocal cords. That's what I was told. Can you comment on that? That would be news to me. Really? Far as I know. Okay. Oh. Wow. Well, we're gonna have to see. Now I'm really, I'm really fascinated by this now.
0: I don't think so. No.
1: Well, you if you get Paul Verity to email me back, then we'll find out because oh, he said you know, he'd email me and he didn't. So <laughs> I,
0: will, I will get in touch with Paul and I will check with him. But I don't, I don't think that's the case.
1: I'm trying to remember the I, the, the Vegas show. I heard that from the Vegas well, show. So they're, maybe, maybe they're they're running off you know crazy out there, talking about
0: there there is a yeah it could be the vegas show i'm not sure about that but uh when i was involved with it which was years ago at this point um <clears throat> but there is a song in the show that's always been on track it's the one where he's in the
1: boat he's got the mask on right yeah he's always got the mask on no, the big <laughs> mask the big masquerade <laughs> is inside the pirate face you can't sing inside the pirate face uh, uh, the no, no no, back
0: no. it's not that one no, no 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 i hate that song so much <laughs> i hate that song um no, it's it's the one where he's in the boat, and it's I can't I can't even think of the song, but and and he pops up all over the place, and she's in the boat with him, and, and <clears throat> it's a big loud song. It's it's a big song, but it's always been on track. And there's like four phantoms during it because that they, they have to pop in from different places. So no, they're not singing that. That's it's definitely all track, and I think it's pretty clear that it's track. Uh, oh yeah,
1: yeah, because they oh. they're coming off upstage, coming to the boat, but they went across with the lantern. Right, yeah, right, right. yeah, I didn't know exactly. So what that right might
0: that might be the the I yeah, because she I'm pretty sure she is tracked on that, but again, it's because it can't always be the right person. So it's right. it, I don't know if it's because of uh, a vocal thing as much as it's actually a different actress because the other one's backstage doing the quick change so she can make it on stage yeah. in time. You know, and to me, that's just theater magic, is what right. it is. Right. You know, so.
2: Well,
1: also, there was this idea that, you know, and I guess Andrew had said, well, that, you know, the phantom's making her sing. And so he's sort of coaxing this note out of her that she couldn't. And so there he wanted this yeah. sort of ethereal quality to it. So that that was a story I heard. So Could we're going to have to yeah, I, think, it. I
0: think that's the same moment we're talking about. But yeah, it be. Maybe, yep. maybe, yeah. Anyway, I don't know.
1: Well, there you go. There I got my phantom. I got to scratch my phantom itch for the night. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the way I, I hear, scratch. historical sound question here. And you talked about, you know, why we have to line mix when we're doing musical theater and you don't want comb filtering, you don't want, you know, kind of multiple arrivals at multiple microphones. Um, There is a system called the A-B system, which I thought was a very brilliant solution to that problem, even though it requires doubling your PA, and so you really don't see it anymore. But the idea was, hey, if we never sum these two characters' mics into the same speaker, Mm -hmm. we don't have that comb filter issue. And Mm -hmm. I realize that it's, it's, it's kind of unwieldy by today's standards, but... I just thought it was such a brilliant uh, idea to uh, Martin came up with that.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a great idea and um, it is just really expensive and (laughs) going to the producer and like, okay, you know how I like said I wanted a sound system. I want two. (laughs) Okay. So that, that makes it challenging, but it's, it's very cool. I mixed uh, Jersey boys, which was an AB system. Um, And uh, Julie, Julie ran, uh, Julie Sloan is the, is, she was the main mixer. I was her sub. She's brilliant mixer. Um, she's doing Tina now. I think that's what they call it. It's about Tina Turner. Anyway, whatever it's yeah, called.
2: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so it's very different mixing on an AB system because you, you can be sloppy or you don't have to, you know, nail every pickup because you're like, eh, you're not going to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, You do hear a little bit, just more than anything, you hear proximity, you know, because you're like, cool, I can just leave both these mics open. Oh, he was really loud for a second, you know, because it's proximity. Mm -hmm. But it definitely does do the trick, and it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know... From a from an audio nerd perspective, I'm like that's a brilliant thing, and uh, I, I will reveal this because I I actually skyped Martin and asked him about that because I was so fascinated with it, and he said he invented it by accident. <laughs> he was doing um, <laughs> he said he was doing Carry, which ran for five days, mm-hmm. and on Carry, he had two systems. He had like a, a high powered, he called it the rock system for the big musical numbers. And then he had a quieter, was supposed to sound more acoustic, and he had drivers that were not in cabinets and they were just loose to the air, he and they would it. switch all the inputs over. Uh, song to song, and he said one one scene came up and he had two faders up and he realized it didn't sound terrible and he wondered why and he realized he forgot to switch that mic over. So mm-hmm. so then he designed it into Aspects of Love. Um, That was the first show that was kind of, if you look up the A-B system, that's what it said. Yeah, I think yeah. that's in your book too. Um, but he told me that it was actually an accident from the, the show prior and I thought that was a little tidbit. And then he said, I've never told anyone that before, so there we have
2: it. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, what about overall show volume? I imagine it could vary greatly based on genre, style of show. How do you go about deciding uh, how loud uh, a certain show should be? And, I, and I'd and say quotation marks on loud because I know that's perception based. But you get the idea.
0: Dude, I'm I'm for loud as you can make it, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Balls to the wall. Let's go.
1: You know what? I learned that subtlety is lost on a lot of people. Is you it? know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, so like you're, you're, uh, well, well, once on this island, I think is a great example. Like that was a, I was not struggling to hear any lines. That was, that was a, a really healthy level show. It was, it was, it wasn't too loud, but it was loud. I'm like, yeah, no one's struggling to hear these lines. And I think, I think that's the, you know, that's the goal, really. People are coming to hear the story. Mm -hmm. And my thing is artistic considerations being what they are. If people can't hear the story, they can't tell what's going on because they didn't understand the dialogue. I mean, you've yeah. just wasted their time. And, and so that has to be the prime consideration to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, For me, that's, that's how I got in this business. Everyone told me, you know, words are the king. That's it. It's, it's all that really matters. Um, <clears throat> and I was kidding. Not really for really loud shows, but unless they're warranted, you know, I mean, some shows today, they, they just are. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what people want. Like I saw Mean Girls, that's a big loud show, but everyone loves it because that's what it is. And um, but you know, you do something like Man of La Mancha, no, no, no one wants to hear an acoustic guitar that loud, you know. It's <laughs> like, no, it's it's a soft, quiet little musical. So um, it's really dependent on the show. You know, it's like you get into a show and you're like, This is the volume of this show, you can feel it, you know. It's like mm-hmm. Uh, I designed when I designed full Monty. I <clears> the <throat> mixing a song or my mixer's doing a song and and uh, and it was it it's a it's it's a rock musical. So there was a song. It's like uh um it it was a big loud song, and the song was actually Big Black Man. It's a pretty funny song and um and the producer came over to me. And he's like, I think that's a little loud. Can you turn it down? I'm like. Well, it's an empty theater right now, so it's extra loud. Get you know, get two thousand people in here, and it's gonna quiet down. But yeah, we'll we'll pull it down. And so he pulled the show down, and he and I was like, I you know, I told him I said, I think this is the volume of the show. It just you know, cause producers sometimes are like, if it's too loud, people are gonna ask for their money back. And I'm like, mm. I think this is what it's supposed to be. He's like, no, turn it down. I'm like, all right, we'll turn it down. And he comes back over, like. 15 20 minutes later and he's like you were right turn it back up you know because it's so weird where you're like yeah this is where the show lives and you and you turn the volume down you're like now the it's like the air just goes out of the room it's just like it gets boring and you're like it's and it's not even about struggling sometimes you can still hear what they're saying but it's like it's just not interesting you know Mm -hmm. it it loses something and then in the same at the same time i saw um you know, I've seen some shows, um, where it's like, no, that is definitely too loud because I'm shutting down. My ears are closing up. I'm not having a good time. This is just loud. Um, yeah. So it, it's hard. It's, it's really about the show. It's, yeah. They, the show determines the volume.
1: You you said something really interesting there that, that I know you cover in your book. And I also read David Collison's book about the history of, of theater sound. And, um, There's something that he mentions too, which is you know everyone everyone in theater has two jobs, um, their job and sound designer, right? So everyone everyone's got this this idea of their input of what the sound should be, and so um, that can be a pretty difficult thing to deal with to kind of stand your ground and you know try to explain to people that maybe don't have all the context why a thing was done a certain way. How how do you deal with that?
0: Well, I I to me I I tell all my mixers that our job plain and simple has nothing to do with volume. Our job is to make people laugh, cry, clap and stop clapping. That's Mm -hmm. it. So if I'm doing a song and, and you know, there's a funny line and I didn't, I didn't make sure that line was heard. I don't hear the laughter. I didn't do Mm -hmm. my job. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, there are songs where it ends and they start clapping And the director wants them to stop clapping when this next thing happens. It's my job to make sure it's at the right level to cue the audience. That's it. We're moving on. Right. And they stop clapping. And it's also my job to know the emotion of a song and be like, okay, this song has to start small, build a little bit, you know, it comes back down, builds a little bit more. It comes back down, and you do it right, and then you crescendo, and the, the goosebumps happen, and everyone's crying. And that's like, that's it. I don't, I don't. Was it ninety four dB, eighty six? I don't know, but it was right <laughs> because right. you know they laughed, they cried, they clapped, and they shut right. up.
1: And you know, there's one more related topic that I really want to mention before before we have to go, and it's this idea that you know, for some reason, a lot of people feel that amplified sound is unnatural in the theater. Heck um, yeah. And and I think my answer to that is is similar to to a view that that Bob McCarthy has Bob McCarthy has written about in, in the past and other people have written about in the past and if you don't mic like people they have to do fundamentally unnatural things for the audience mm-hmm. to hear them they have to project and their dynamic range shrinks and everything gets really loud and their diction gets you know unnatural and as soon as you put an unnatural sound mm-hmm. reinforcement system in play this person can now behave in a natural fashion. And so I think if that's done right, the idea that there's a system sort of goes to the wayside and you can sort of just, now you've just established a conduit where you now can have a natural performance that people can hear. And I, I'll take that every time.
0: Yeah. And, and that with that point and also something you said earlier, which goes back to, um, localization and delay time changing and all that stuff is, I think I said this to you when we met in Utica is like, uh, to me, every sound system's imperfect. And everything we do in musical theater is imperfect. It's by its very nature, it's imperfect. It's unnatural because we're amplifying them. It's imperfect because they're wearing a hat and the microphone will never sound as good as it really, you know, when you, when you listen to a demo of the mic, you're like, that is a good sounding mic. Yeah, that ain't happening on stage because we're working with like, hey, sorry, they're wearing a mask. What do you want me to do? It's the Phantom. So, you know, there are, there are things that make whatever we're doing imperfect. The speaker couldn't go exactly where we wanted it to. So it's close, but it's not perfect. And, and, and you know, EQing a, a system and tuning a room, that's subjective. I think it sounds great. Someone else is like, that sounds terrible. So, so what, um, you know, what we do is by its very nature not perfect. But what's amazing with the human brain is you sit down, you listen to something. For me, it's like the first minute I'm like, huh, uh, I'm not crazy about the way that sounds. Give me a couple of minutes and all of a sudden my brain sort of adapts to this is the world I'm in. And this is what the world sounds like. And, mm-hmm. and I, I start, it starts to disappear. And unless... Unless you keep pointing yourself out, you know, unless you keep going, hey, let me do this really loud. And I'm like, man, that sound system is loud. But, you know, if, it, if it's just a, <clears throat> a system that my brain can sort of just meld into, then it becomes natural for me to hear that world. And that's one reason why localization, I think, is hard is because you're constantly changing the world. As soon as I feel comfortable that I understand this sound, you manipulate it. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, oh, they're over there, and and I have to readjust my 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 brain, and and along with that, it's it's so true to me that if you have an actor on stage, they don't they don't need to be screaming, you know that 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 sweet line to to the to their love interest. There's a there's a scene in Les Mis where uh, I think it's Eponine is like upstage left, about to die. She's looking upstage on her knees. Okay, how are we going to hear that? She has to be miked. Mm-hmm. Do you want her to scream? You know, in, in the old days, Ethel Merman and stuff, like, one, people would, would pay uh, for the cheap seats, and if they liked the show, they'd pay again for the better seats so they could hear what the actors were saying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and the way they would block a show is like, okay, you walk down left, look straight out, deliver your line. You know, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Chorus Line originally on Broadway had foot mics and area mics, but it was blocked. So it was like, okay, walk over here because there's a microphone right there. Deliver your line. And and they could amplify it and make it, you know, they would just go down to that one little area and, and amplify it. So so by by putting wireless mics on actors, by amplifying it, you're allowing directors and actors to be more artistic and say, oh, I'm going to walk over here. I'm going to be in a corner and I'm going to whisper, but everyone can hear me and I don't have to scream. Um, now, on the, in the reverse, <clears throat> when I mixed uh, Man of La Mancha, um the the moment that just to me, I'm not a real mixer unless I'm crying at some point in the show. That's just me.
1: <laughs> and I get
0: made fun of with my family because you know we watch a movie and I'm just like, that's me. I'm I just I'm a cloud. It's coming out. <laughs> <clears throat> but so that's me. I'm, I'm like until until I've figured out that made me cry in that scene. I haven't figured out the show. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and with um uh with with man of la mancha in the complete opposite so there's this moment where um where don quixote is 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 um uh, at dulcinea's bedside and and she she's about to die and he's singing the song dulcinea dulcinea uh, whatever whatever he's singing something about that something about dulcinea anyway so he's singing this song and you know the band is a little big and we're amplifying it and as he gets to the end of the song, we start pulling it down and pulling it down lower and pulling it down lower. And the last like verse of the song, we just dumped everything and it was all acoustic. And it was one of the most effective moments I've ever mixed because it, it just like you just slowly focused in as it got quieter and then it pulled all the air out of the room because there was no amplification and it was just a quiet, simple moment and it was heartbreaking so, yeah, those are the tricks we can do.
1: That's brilliant, man! I love it. I, I, I this idea that I have had conversations and I do like college musical theater stuff like that. This concept that everyone wants to hide these mics, um, and my thing is, no one in the audience is going to be fooled into thinking that there's no mics. Like that, everyone knows there's mics in the show. Um, and so I think you have to be careful because you can get into situations where the mic placement becomes so contrived that it just starts to sound really bad. And then like that's gonna be a bigger problem for the entire duration of the show versus like, okay, the people in the first five rows can see the, the mic element up there and like, yeah, because it's there and but you know, then you, you ignore it and you move on. I think you know, I think that's that's certainly the lesser of two evils, especially like you know, there's no running scam where it's like <gasps> there was mics in that show you know like that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's a necessary evil is all i can say I, I i mean i try and hide them when possible but yeah it's not always possible
2: Yep. so so shannon how what what is it like it's probably a twofold question Early in someone's career as a sound mixer, and then this would also go maybe later in their career, taking constructive criticism from either the sound designer, the producer, I'm not sure exactly how it works in the Broadway world or theater world, of, hey we don't like the way you've mixed that or i want this to go here how open do you have to be to that i imagine maybe more so earlier in your career and then what's it like maybe later in your career like hey i know what this thing should sound like i want to do this but someone's telling you uh to do it differently or maybe they're not i don't know so what uh what's it like navigating that
0: it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> it does not get better. It's like that NBC thing. It gets better. No, it does. It does not in a sense get better. No. Um, <clears throat> what I mean by that is, as you sort of move up in your career, you're working with people who are much more, uh, you know, seasoned in their career, and so they are much more opinionated. You know, when I start off, I'm doing a, a musical theater, a musical show somewhere in Dallas in a 200-seat theater, no one has a lot of clout to come yell at me about it or, you know, really. I mean, I get notes, but if, like, Steven Sondheim is in the room, (laughs) um, that's a lot of pressure, and he can say whatever he wants, and I better agree with him and do what he asks. You know, he wrote the show. So it's like, it's that kind of thing. It's like, as you move up into it, and you're like, Okay, now I'm working with James Lepine, who wrote into the woods, and you know it, it, so you you end up with people who are have much more um yeah much more clout is all I can say, so you end up it, it gets a lot and it, and the the money is much different that they're dealing with, you know when you like I did one show, and it's the budget's like ten million dollars to get the show open. <laughs> they're going to have a lot to say when they're like mm-hmm. hey, really really loud man <laughs> uncomfortable
1: <laughs> i i was laughing on fandom because we were you know the last five rows there's like a separate pair of subwoofers all the way up on the back of the balcony I mean, and 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 i was just looking at those subwoofers and i'm like I would never get those. Like if I that's something that I wouldn't even ask for cuz I would be told no you're not getting subwoofers for 5 rows, you know? I'm just like there they they are man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan of them though. We have a yeah. Very similar. Yeah. I've uh, I've done that in other venues and it's they're not they're not like for like a kick drum. It's more like that drone where you just want the whole audience to feel low end with, you know, they're, they're tiny little subs. They're not going to really kick you in the butt, but they're, uh, you know, they're going <laughs> to make you feel something. There's, can I tell you another little, um,
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Magic? Absolutely.
0: So when, when we did cabaret, cause this is a sub thing, um, <clears throat> that was a studio 54. And this was the, the most recent version of it. Um, so the the floor at Studio Fifty Four is is a, a the stage is like three feet off the actual floor, and they put it in so it's on it's like a wanger stage, and then they build stuff on top of it. And there's a scene at the end of Act One <clears throat> where um, where Ernst comes back and and they're at a party, big party, and he takes his coat off and he's got the the on, you know, and everyone finally realizes he's a Nazi and it's, it's, it's like a, well, that killed the party. Thanks Ernst. Thanks for coming. <laughs> um, so, so they're, they're having a celebration and then this happens and the entire cast is standing in a straight line upstage of, of Ernst and, uh, the shopkeeper who's basically being chased out cause he's Jewish. And, um, and as the cast talks, like every, eighth beat the song is stopped but it's still in your head and every eighth beat the whole cast would stomp just a little stomp on the ground <clears throat> and I went to uh, the designer my good friend um, Brian Ronan really one of the br- most brilliant sound designers out there um, and I was like hey can can I put like some some PCC mics or something un- like under the deck to get the, the thump and he's like yeah good idea give it a shot let's see how it goes and so <clears throat> I took these PCCs, I taped them to the bottom of the, the deck, and then I sent them, uh, I put a, a low-pass filter at like 100. And then I only sent them to the subs, right? And so we got to that moment in the show, and I had sound people that I would be like, hey, something's going to happen at the end of Act 1. Let me know if you can tell. <laughs> and and um, I, they would do the stomp, and I would just push these mics up, and the whole room would just would just do this low vibration, just boom. And it was so subtle that like no one, no one ever came and was like, dude, man, but I can tell you not having them on versus having them on. It was an enormous difference. It was like, it made you uncomfortable and you didn't know why, you know, mm. it was just this moment where you're just like, Oh, icky. And that, you know, so the, the rear surrounds were really important to that. Cause it's like, it was just everywhere. Mm anyway
1: well that's I awesome cried. I <laughs> <cried>. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon thank you thank you so much for your time and this has just been an absolute pleasure to have you here we really appreciate it um anyone that's listening that's interested in what Shannon's been talking about check out his book mixing a musical Broadway theatrical sound techniques it is a fantastic book um it occupies a very special spot on my bookshelf and I refer to it regularly so check that out um and uh We want everyone to, you know, hit us up. Signal number two noise podcast at gmail.com with your thoughts, with your questions. Uh, You can make fun of Kyle for not being with us this week. Um, Ask him about the taco status. And Shannon, once again, thank you so much, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.